0: Hello, hello, hello everyone, happy Monday. We have a special episode today that we are hosting today, July 1st on a Monday. Um, I'm very excited to bring this episode to you because uh, we have the unique opportunity to talk today to Laura Davidson from Tag Digital and she is going to tell you a lot more about herself but one of the reasons I'm very excited to talk to her today is that she kind of represents Two different sides that we all, that at least I am always obsessed with. So there's the independent side, she started her own company, and also, of course, the technology side, the services, the events industry. And as you guys know, I'm a total tech geek, so I love to talk about technology. Uh, I'm hoping in today's conversation we can learn not only more about Laura's career and how she started her company. But I do hope that we can get into a little geeky talk as well and talk about how the technology she's developed is helping the events industry. So, hopefully, you'll learn not only from her career, but from her technology as well. So, Laura, thank you so much for joining us today on the Event Hustler Show. Thanks. Thanks for having me. It's nice to be here. Uh, and I know you're calling in from Scotland, is that correct? I am. I am, yes. What <laughs> time is it there?
1: It's three thirty in the afternoon. Okay, so, yeah.
0: <laughs> you're winding down. I'm vacation yeah. to tomorrow, so you're closer. Ooh, to you okay. It's <laughs> a July um, week. Yes, exactly. But why don't you uh, just start by telling everyone a little bit about yourself?
1: Sure. Hi. So yeah, I'm Laura Davidson. I'm one of the founders at Tag Digital. So I started Tag Digital eight years ago with my then boyfriend, now husband, and we started out kind of doing, you know, all types of digital services and clients, and then we started to specialise in events, and then we started to specialise in PPC, Um, and kind of once we carved out that niche is when the company really started to grow um, and, yeah, has become pretty global in our, our reach.
0: That's awesome. Um, now, you said you started the company with your boyfriend turned husband, yeah. which is always a positive story. Sometimes it doesn't yeah, work <laughs> I know, I think people
1: pause before I say, uh, we're not together, but no, he's my husband. We have a two-year-old and uh, yeah, we work together every day. So it's good. It's a really, um, you share a common goal, which I think is um, great. And we have quite separate roles in the company
0: as it's grown now. Congratulations. That's a, in and of itself. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> uh, how did you get into the events industry in the first place? I know you said you started with your technology on a broader scale. So mm-hmm. did you have experience with the events industry or was it yeah. what did that look like?
1: Yeah, so I had worked, um, initially my background was in English and law and then after university I actually came to New York and I worked there for a while and then I worked back in London and back in Scotland and I worked for a video startup and part of our remit was to go film events and do interviews and all those things um, and that was really a good entry I think into the world of events I love that it was really fast paced and there was loads happening and I think one of the things that we love as a company is there's an end date you know you're all working towards this this thing but then it is over and you get a second to you know before you start planning the next one so had a kind of little bit of an intro to the events world and then that was good when we were you know we started the company and we thought okay who could our target client be and, and we were thinking you know it could, could be anybody and we were told to specialize yeah, maybe six or seven years ago. And we thought, no, anyone could be our client. And then eventually we, we knew some people at UBM and UBM was one of our first event clients now in Forma. Um, and that kind of got us in the door. And I think then once we were in there, we thought this is, you know, huge. There's just so much that could be done here. So we started to get referred from one organizer to another organizer people move around a lot in events so then they said oh we know somebody Um, so it was quite an organic thing I would say to start with how we kind of specialised once we were in with the events organisers and then maybe four or five years ago we made a conscious decision like this is the market we're not going to work outside that market so we turned down like you know great clients out with that market Um, and that's I think when the company grew and that was something I couldn't see, you know, six, seven years ago that well, how do we grow if we restrict our market? But it's been completely the opposite. Once we were focused and specialised, we've just become really, really good at doing one thing. Um, and I think that's definitely the key and something that I've learned when I was um, yeah younger. Than, I didn't get that at all.
0: It seems very like counterintuitive, right? Because I think you know, if we can service all these clients, we have more opportunities if we stay more broad. And I, I had mentioned to you before we went on air, I feel like this is something we talk about on every episode, just that idea of defining your niche and how that opens so many revenue opportunities.
1: Yeah.
0: How does that work though? Because I mean, I know from my own experience, but you would think if you end up having to turn down clients who no longer fit into your niche, that you're somehow not going to be more successful. But you've, yeah. said you've been more successful in the last four or five years yeah. way,
1: way more companies grown like, I don't know, over a thousand percent, I'd say in those four years. So that has definitely been I think having the confidence to say no took a while. Um, but then once we did, it meant that people knew that we were more focused. And then what it allowed us to do was focus on okay what are the events for the event industry what countries could we go to so we were exporting to now export to about 42 countries but it was like 30 countries within a couple of years because we were so niche and we understood the events market so you I think you grow much faster in your niche than you ever would do in abroad, broad um, in a broad sense so yeah we've we've grown we've punched well above our weight from the early days with the clients that we got because we just spoke their language and we cut out all of the other stuff and um, so yeah I think being focused being international initially I think just off the bat you just have to think globally um, whereas I think if you do more broad you tend to stay more local I think most agencies why would you use another agency in another country you just use someone local um, <clears throat> whereas for us it was important to be international straight away um, and yeah you just cut out a lot of the The unknown things with other sectors because all of our clients want the same thing you know they want more data they want new data they want happy attendees happy exhibitors um you know engaged attendees at the show so you're just refining that one thing all of the time which maybe oversimplifies it but i think it just keeps your attention in in the one place which has been really good for us
0: well, as we talk more about your company, I'm sure um, the audience will see there's a lot of overlap between what you're talking about and what you did with your company in terms of identifying your target audience, knowing that and being able to target that and what you're doing on the technology side. Um, but I have to say, we're eight minutes into this interview and you just said the dreaded D word, data.
1: Oh. <laughs> like, what did
0: I say? You looked very nervous when I started. <laughs> Uh, Event planners, I think, know that data is really important. They're very nervous about it, partially because it's something that maybe as a a traditional event planner we don't know a lot about. Um, But also then there's GDPR and there's these lots of acronyms that we were a little bit confused about, to be honest. I'm as much included in that as every other event planner. Um, So we haven't gotten much into what TAG Digital actually is. So can you tell us a little bit about what that is and then... Yeah, I'm sure I know from your uh, company, you'll get into some of the acronyms that you guys as well.
1: There's lots of acronyms. (laughs) um, Yeah, so Tag Digital, we do PPC for events and PPC stands for pay per click. So pay per click advertising or paid advertising is just any ads that you click on, you pay for every single click. So I think there's a common misconception that that's just search keywords. So you know when you search for Google and you might look for Security Event New York, a bunch of ads will pop up there. So we are the strings behind that controlling those ads. And one of the misconceptions of the PPC is just search, but actually PPC covers search, social, display, and video. So what that means is if you oh, I hit one there. That's okay. um, you know when you're on facebook and you've maybe been looking for an event um and then all of a sudden another event pops up that's really similar but not exactly the event you're looking at so we do all that kind of thing as well so kind of like you're saying who's your target audience and we would say okay we're looking for security professionals in the new york area we're going to target them on search we're going to show them a video on youtube we're going to target them on facebook and the whole idea behind all of that is we're building new data. So we're building new emails, new pre-registrations, we're engaging a new audience because everybody has you know, churn events and you want to make sure that you're you know, constantly feeding the funnel, that you're growing your more challenging sectors of the show, you're growing your internationals. Um, so everything we're doing is designed around a conversion. So we might talk a bit today about that. And a conversion is ultimately you're trying to answer how much does it cost us to get one person to register for our security event in in New York? How much does it cost us to get one exhibitor lead for a security event in New York? And that's called CPA, so cost per acquisition. And it means that you can know with certainty, okay, cost me $6 to get someone to New York, um, to my security event in New York, great stuff. I know how much budget I need, you know, to get 10,000 people to my event or 500 people to my event. So that's the great thing with PPC is, you know, exactly how much a click will cost you and how much it takes, how many clicks you need to get one result, basically.
0: Okay. So how how did you guys learn this in the first place <laughs> so that you can help other event organizers?
1: Yeah, great question. Lots of trial and error, I think. Um, and there is a lot of testing in PPC because you need to make sure that you like your keywords are B2B-focused and you're not getting mixed up with people who are looking for you know, a home security system, for example. So lots of testing. Um, we've built a lot of process around how do we get campaigns started, and I think that's something we took a lot of time over, which was painful but really worth it in the long term. Um, We run, we test so many campaigns, you know, different images, different creative. Do people like when you say global or international? Do they like pictures of people or do they like pictures of things? So we've kind of built up this bank of knowledge um, and we built a data benchmarking tool as well, which we analyzed 100,000 campaigns over a period of time. So we knew a lot of stuff anecdotally, I would say, up until maybe 18 months ago. And we could tell you all of this stuff, but. As we scale and as we grow, we need to be able to look at that data in a more um, a more of a bigger scale. So we built this tool, our data benchmarking tool. We looked at 100,000 campaigns in all different regions, all different objectives, so that ultimately we are saying this is actually what it costs you to get somebody here or here if you're you know, doing a launch event or an event in Asia or an event in the U.S., we've got that data to back up rather than it being, I guess, anecdotal or looking back up. So, yeah, I guess six, seven years of just thousands and thousands of campaigns.
0: So is that data benchmarking survey that you did? I mean, that that's a pretty large uh, research project. Is that stuff that you share with your customers, I assume, so that they don't have to do all of that work? (laughs)
1: <laughs> exactly, because you would just never get. it I just don't think that would exist anywhere. I don't know anyone that would have done that volume of event campaign. So at the moment, it's it's private to us, and we share it with clients. You know, when they're saying, you know, how much is it going to cost me to do things? But ultimately, we do want to make it something that's available so that you know people can can answer what's good. I think that's the hardest thing because you've got no context. You don't know what anyone else is doing. Whereas what we've now got is a completely anonymized system to say what is good or you know, what should you be aiming for in your space or your region?
0: Is PPC something that only like the larger brands with huge events do? Or is there value for, you know, an annual conference who's trying to attract 500 to 1000 attendees, or possibly even smaller? I think it's something that's perceived as, you know, the big companies spend their money doing these kinds of advertising. Is that true? Or Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, that's a great question, and it's definitely not restricted to big advertisers, so we do lots of campaigns. I'd say your smallest budget is around a $2,000 campaign, Um, and what tends to happen is, if you're running a small campaign, it might be that actually no one's ever thought about allocating a budget for PPC, because it's just not been in the kind of awareness, but usually once they do, it's a very good return on investment tool because it's so tangible. It's quite hard to get from your other marketing. Okay, how much does that cost us to get that one person there? It's really hard to answer that question. So it's quite common, I'd say, for year one, we start with a small budget and it'll increase, but it will only increase to... Ever, we would say PPC should deliver about 30% of your overall results. So some people get really excited when the campaign is going well, and they're like, can we spend 100,000? Can we spend 500,000? You just, like, there will be a cap on it, no matter how big the event could hold, to, to still get attendees at a good cost per acquisition. So, yeah, I'd say 2,000 is your minimum. I don't know, the smallest event? No, I mean, we do, we do lots of 100-person conferences, you know, I'd say they're more niche, which is good for PPC. There's a lot less wastage, but yeah, lots of medical, pharmaceutical, industrial, investment, finance, um, small conferences, as long as it's being marketed. you know. So if you've got an internal event, you know, you're not going to market it, um, but if, as long as you're marketing it, yeah, I wouldn't say. And I think the nice thing is you can test it and see if it works. So you don't think, oh, I've just put all of my marketing budget into this thing that I've no idea as long as you've got time on your side. So a typical conference campaign, maybe 18 weeks, something like that, an expo campaign, 14 weeks. Um, as long as you've got time on your side to see that it's working, and then you can put more money in if you're happy with the results. So it's, it's low risk and it's um, easy to see if it's working. Okay.
0: Now, I definitely don't consider myself an expert digital marketer. I'm, I'm learning all the time, but I, I know PPC as pay-per-click, and then I'm pretty sure you can also pay per impressions, like per thousand impressions or something, PPI? Am I just making uh, it? CPM, <laughs> CPM okay. basis. So why would, why PPC compared yeah. to like a lot of eyeballs?
1: Yeah, so CPM, you're charged on an impression basis. So you're charged for every a thousand impressions. And I would say that's typically where your big advertisers would, would work. So it would be like, say you're a charity or an airline, maybe more consumer brand, and you just want to get as many people as possible seeing your ad, whereas for us, our organizers want to get as many people as possible on their website. So if you're paying on a CPM basis, on a cost per per view, basically, uh, they may or may not have gone to the website. If you pay on a cost per click basis, they definitely went to the website. So to us, it's a clearer thing. So say it costs us a dollar for every click and we've got a 10% conversion rate, we know that it's gonna cost us $10 to get one person to register.
0: Okay. Yeah, I mean, I've heard um, that most people would say like McDonald's, for example, why would you still run ads? The idea is because they just need to be in people's faces all the time. Yeah. It's not like you've never heard of McDonald's before. Exactly.
1: It just makes just think, hmm, I do have <laughs> <laughs> yeah. to yeah. Okay, yeah. that's
0: interesting. Yeah.
1: Yeah, awareness is good, and we definitely always want to spend on awareness, but typically we're not running with a McDonald's kind of budget, so we look for a cost per click.
0: I'm glad we're not because I'm definitely <laughs> <laughs> Um We have a question that came in from Carolyn Clark, so I want to show you that. How would we know one of – how would we know one of your campaigns resulting in a conversion? So how do you know if it's actually owned your website and then turning into a registration, for example? That's
1: a great question. So we use a, a piece of code called Google Tag Manager. It's a free piece of code that Google offers, and it allows us to put the code on your website and your registration pages or your forms or whatever you're using. Mm-hmm. And what that allows us to do is, okay, say they get to the forward slash thanks for registering we say okay great one completed conversion and we can only capture a conversion if somebody has clicked an ad that we're serving gone all the way through converted and seen that thank you page so um, and same you know if it's a form a data download whatever it is um, there has to be a definitive thing that happens because I've seen campaigns you know that we've taken over and it's like visited contact page but you know, you don't have any data, nothing's been captured, they might have left. So it's got to be something true that we class as a conversion, like a a data capture, basically.
0: Okay. And um you I already mentioned that data is a scary word for event planners. I think code, you mentioned code just now. Code yeah. your website sounds very scary. I'm assuming, though, you guys help people with that process.
1: (laughs) Yeah, for sure. We try and make it as low touch as possible. So we basically need three things. We need images, we need access to existing accounts, and we need this one piece of code to go on the website. Once that one piece of code is on, we set everything else up for you. So, um, you know, historically, there used to be about 10 pieces of code that you needed, but there just needs to be this one now, and it takes a web developer or your registration partner a couple of minutes to do it.
0: And that can uh, track, like you said, search and social and and all the things.
1: Yeah, so not getting into all the techie details, but you put all of your tags within the Google Tag Manager container. So if we used Facebook, Bing, LinkedIn, whatever, we put them all in there and we could track multiple objectives. So we might track visitors, exhibitors, conference, you know, whatever um, other objectives we're tracking. So we might end up with like, I don't know, 20 tags and triggers, but we do all of that for you. We just tell you it's working. One,
0: okay. Um, so one of my questions is in terms of your background and your husband's background, what about your personalities or your experience gets you interested in this stuff? I know for a lot of people it's just overwhelming and they don't want to even know. <laughs> what makes you yeah. interested about learning about PPC and um, adults?
1: it's such a fast-moving industry you know there is so much like the google marketing conference was just in may i think this year and all the stuff that came out was like brand new for us brand new for our clients and it's just still really fresh so even though we we always do the same kind of objective i think there's just so much new stuff coming out that it's really good to do and i think it's Good when you get good at something, which I now feel like we're, we get it. Um, and when we get good results, it's good and happy clients. and um, yeah, I think that's what everyone wants is, is good feedback ultimately. So that keeps us going. And yeah, there's complicated problems that we have to solve. Um, but yeah, I think we have a, an amazing team that helps us do that. So um, yeah, we're really lucky to be in this space.
0: So uh, speaking of complicating things that you have to solve, <laughs> Uh, Carolyn also has another question, and this is a really good question, I think. Um, When you look at the average event organization, they have data in about a thousand different places. It is often very dirty. (laughs) It comes from multiple sources. Uh, how, How does that work? Can you help people kind of take, so for example, I know people who have 100,000 people on various lists, but do they have a single list that has them with all the correct information and it's perfectly organized and it's segmented? No, mm, no. Not. How does that h- help or hinder your process? And how yeah, you so
1: Ultimately, I think if they've got the data organized, great, but as you say, a lot of people don't. We We do different things. So part of our campaign is building new data, so we don't need any lists from the client. Part of it is using retargeting. So we look at cookies on the website. So if someone's visited the Y exhibit page and they didn't convert, let's retarget them. If they visited interior design workshops and they didn't convert, let's show them an ad for interior design workshops. So that kind of takes away your reliance so heavily on data. If they do have data, we can also use that. So say, for instance, they've got 100,000 people and they're like, I don't know if this is any good, but we have it. We take that data and we upload it to uh, Google, Facebook, LinkedIn, and we uh, match that data. So, Google or Facebook is saying to us, okay, we've got a 50% match rate. So, very quickly, you've kind of removed the half of the database that you were never going to reach anyway. It cross-references it with Google or Facebook or LinkedIn, and then we only show ads to those people when they're active on the platform. So, Really, what you're doing with any data that we get is showing it to the most relevant people at the time they're actually on the platform. So it really cuts out all of that, you know, email marketing to half a dead database, basically. So it gives you all of that um, flexibility. So I think that's a really good thing to do. And the other thing with the data that we like to do. Is say we take your past attendees for example we can then create a lookalike audience on those past attendees to say okay go, go find me more people like these people because they you know they're the right kind of audience for us um so yeah i think if they they can give us the data you know in whatever state they want it doesn't really matter because we're going to cross match it anyway
0: okay that makes sense now um this is not just in the events industry but I have experienced myself, I know family and friends, you are, you know, you've kind of referenced this already. Let's say you're looking up something that you want to buy on your computer and then suddenly your Facebook feed is filled with all these ads for that particular thing that you were looking for. Or, uh, you know, and I've seen it on the phone. I know that I even believe that it works when your phone is not even, when you're not actively searching, but it's in the room and you're talking about something. I have seen Some crazy things come up. And I think that that like line is very blurry and sometimes makes people feel very uncomfortable that when they go yeah. visit your website, they suddenly see an ad. But obviously, there's a ton of power in that. Especially yeah. for marketers. Uh, yeah. What are, the, what are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, the stuff that's creepy as a user that everyone experiences is, is generally great for advertisers. Um, and yeah, I think look-alike audiences are extremely powerful now. So... You know there's all this data and you can say find me people who look like this and that's how you end up seeing those ads retargeting i think with retargeting organizers have to make sure that they've updated their privacy policy to say that that's what they're going to be doing that they're capturing cookies and they will be showing you ads you can always opt out of those ads and that's what i say to organizers as well if somebody sees an ad and they don't like it or they don't think it's relevant they can click, why am I seeing this ad? And then that's quite good to know because then you say, oh, I'm in this list that I don't really want to be in or I'm in this audience I don't think I should be in that. So you can then opt out of that or you can complain. So the user does have freedom to do that. Um, but yeah, I think it's uh, it can be overwhelming as a user. Um, but yeah, as an advertiser, we use a lot of retargeting and we use lookalike audiences and they tend to get very, very good results. <laughs>
0: I mean, it makes a lot of sense that if you have a, a list of past attendees and you want to amplify that, it, it makes sense to target that audience. So I think it's a good yeah. reminder for the general public that we do have control over what we yeah. see and what we receive. And, you know, it's one thing to sit back and complain that we don't like to see it, but we do have the ability to turn it off. Yeah.
1: You can. And lots of people never think about doing that but definitely I think do I do it all the time if there's stuff I don't like you know I I turn it off because I think I I shouldn't be seeing that and it's a waste of money for the advertisers as well but ultimately you just are really refining the algorithms as well for Facebook and Instagram because you're saying I don't like this ad I like this ad I'm engaging here so the machines are just getting smarter and smarter so as time goes on if you think about the ads you saw maybe three or four years ago were probably a lot less relevant than the ones you see now it's like The thing you were just talking about or the thing that you feel like you just told somebody a couple of days ago and then you see the ads and yeah, you know, voice search is the next thing that's coming. So, um, yeah, I think everybody's a little suspicious of the ads that they see based on things they've been talking about, not necessarily searching on their phone.
0: So you just kind of led into my next question, which is, what do you think is next in this workspace and in targeting and retargeting? You mentioned oh, the um, voice is search. Voice
1: yeah, we were expecting to get some sort of big um, like announcement from Google this year, but it's not come. But that will be the next thing on how that's capitalized on. Um, mobile continues to to dominate. And I think what we're seeing is lots of mobile-specific creative, mobile-specific um Uh, videos and things like that Instagram stories is the fastest growing ad fastest growing format ever it's just absolutely huge so the things that we're focused on this year for our clients are mobile mobile first ad creative and video video is really underpriced media at the moment so it's much cheaper to advertise on YouTube or Facebook video as opposed to search which is getting more expensive every year so I would say that's a tip for any organizers to get video content wherever possible of exhibitors or attendees because you can really use that and it will cost you as much as search
0: this is a big topic we're talking about not only not only ppc but just data in general and how we can use it it's such a powerful tool it can you know really increase the number of sponsors exhibitors attendees that we have at our events but it's just a big thing um, do you have any recommendations in terms of Let's say a planner is really interested in using this for their events, or their client is. Where do they stay up to date on all of these changes? And like, where do you get your information from?
1: Um, I like the AdWords blog. I think like goes straight to the horse's mouth. Um, Google Insights is really good as well. That's like got a lot of great case studies on there. Think about stuff that is um, maybe that you wouldn't know about, or just kind of nicely packaged. Uh, Google Trends is good, just to see what's the latest there. And then specifically on PPC, uh, yeah, PPC Hero, Word Stream um, are the blogs that we would use. Um, and then there's loads of great resources like Google Digital Garage is free. Um, if you're more interested in learning some of the stuff yourself, you can do the Google Ads Academy. Um, and so there's lots of great content just to create videos as well I would I would try and consume by videos I think it's easier to get and when you see all the screen shares and things like that um, but yeah those are probably my key resources
0: there's a lot to learn I have a lot to learn I term. have a lot to learn <laughs> well thank you so much for joining us um, if people want to reach out to you and learn more about your career or they want to learn more about tag digital where should they go
1: Um, You can get me on LinkedIn, just Laura Davidson, um, or just email me, laura at tagdigital.co.uk. And then, yeah, we can try and help you with anything that you have. And just reach out and ask questions like, you know, we're really happy just to talk about PPC and events. There's no pressure.
0: So I'm really glad you said that because we still have actually questions in the conversation that we did not get a chance to get to. So if you wouldn't mind, I'm going to put your uh, contact information in okay. the thread on Facebook. I'll also we're going to post this, of course, on our blog, and so people will see that. But if you wouldn't mind, after being able to answer any of the outstanding questions, because there are a few from Adam and Carolyn that we did not get to today, yeah. um, but I would encourage our listeners to keep the conversation going. If you are watching the show. After uh, it has gone live, you can still ask questions and Laura will get notified. I will try to keep up with them as well because like we said, this is a really huge topic and I think there's a lot that that is coming in this space. So Laura, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Um, I know here in the US, we have a holiday week coming up so it's uh, kind of a crazy week for people. (laughs) But um, it was great to see those of you who are watching and asking questions. Thank you so much for doing that. Um, I hope you guys all have a great week. We will not have an episode next week because I'm teaching a course at NYU that's nine to five every day, so it'll be a pretty long course. Uh, but we'll be back the following week with another great guest at ten thirty on Tuesdays, as our usual time. Uh, Laura, thank you so much again for thank taking the time to tell us about this topic and talk <laughs> about your business. And uh, I look forward to staying in touch with you.
1: Great, thanks.
0: We'll have a great holiday week, everybody. Yes. Have a great week, everyone, and we'll see you soon. Bye. Hustle hard. Bye.